So Jesus, what would it look like if each of our lives were a reflection of your amazing love in every way? Your courageous love. Thank you for those moments of worship. Thank you for what you said to us in them. And thank you for how they were built on all of our worship experience this morning, which has been a significant time with you. We invite you, please, God, now in these next moments, would you speak to us in a way that you know this dear church family needs to hear from you at this moment in our history. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. I want to dismiss the children, please, the little ones up through grade four. And I want to thank you, dear worship leaders, for our time this morning. I want to ask you to open your copy of God's Word with me to Acts chapter 1, because a big part of who we are as a people here at Calvary is a, is a church of God's people who want to hear from God, right? And that's why we go into His Word, to hear from Him. Uh, theme verse from last year is important for us on a day like today. Would you say it with me again? This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you and who directs you in the way you should go. That's not just been a verse that we've invited you to consider for you all of last year. It's been a verse that we have been trying to live as a church for many years, but I can only speak personally to the last 52 months that I've been here. We've earnestly been trying to discern, God, what do you discern is best for Walworth County and Calvary Community Church? What do you want to teach us? What's the path you want to take us in? We've been doing the best we know how to do, all of us, to follow that. Many of you received a letter this week that was surprising to you. I'm going to try to explain that this morning in these next moments in ways that can be understandable and loving. I want to make a very clear statement. The letter did not use the word failure because there is no failure in this. And the letter did not use the word termination because there is no termination in this. Please do you understand me? So what is this? Let's look at God's word and see what this is. Because over the last several weeks we've been trying to understand the kingdom of God and what he's doing in the kingdom. Would you look with me in Acts chapter 1? You'll re I'm looking specifically at verse 21 and 22. You remember that Jesus said to his disciples just before he left, I I'm leaving, but peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you into the world. You see that verse there in your notes. That's a very important statement for, for us to understand. As Jesus is the head of his church, he is constantly looking for how he can use his people in obedience to him to do what he did, reaching our world, drawing them to Christ, right? Here and everywhere. We've been doing our best to try to discern what does that mean specifically for us. The last few weeks we've been looking at what happens when you go into the throne room of God. One of the things that happens in that time when you and God are having important, serious conversation about you, about him, about life, is the throne room reprioritizes what's really important. Jot that down in your notes. 
Because my guess is every one of us know pretty well what's important to me. And we have my priority list, each of us. But when we go into the throne room with God, may I suggest one of the things God wants to do is make sure that you understand what is important to Him, right? What's important to Him. And then that leaves you and me with the challenge, will I realign my priorities with His priorities? I want to assure you that Pastor Tom's priorities align fully with Calvary Community Church. This is not a question of priority alignment. Do yours. But the bigger question is, do yours and do mine align with God's, His priorities? So, you might want to take a pencil and just jot down right there, what do you think are the top two or three priorities that God has at this moment in our world? Would you agree that the number one priority would be that every living, breathing human being has an opportunity to know how much God loves them? And that Jesus Christ died on the cross for them. And that's why there's flags hanging here. It's a priority for us at Calvary to make sure that we're reaching to as many people as we possibly can. What would be another priority of God? That he's worshipped. That he's worshipped. As he loves to be worshipped. And we're doing that here as best we can. But that worship is becoming more and more and more complex here at Calvary with the addition of more and more services and lots of other things, including screens that you're looking at. And that's stretching our dear brother Tom more and more. And as we look forward into the future, can you imagine what it could look like a year from now or three years from now if God does in Walworth County what he'd like to do? And what does that mean personally for Pastor Tom? And what is our responsibility to help our dear brother Tom continue to be able to breathe and do life and ministry well? As you're in the throne room with God, your priorities realign with his priorities. In that verse, 21st and 22nd verse, they had come back from the Mount of Olives. They were praying together, these friends of Jesus's. And it was only natural for them to say, let's just go back to doing life as we knew it. Let's go back to fishing and all that stuff. But no, we can't do that now. Our priorities are his. The world needs to know about him. And so Peter stands up and says, there were 12 of us, but now there's only 11. We need another to join us. Who could that person be? And they prayed. And then they made this interesting statement. It's necessary to choose one of the men who've been with us the whole time the Lord went in and went out among us, beginning with John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. That's his priority, so it must be ours, and so we dedicate the rest of our lives to it. There's no going back to life as it was, is what they're saying. We have to keep moving forward with him. Also, you see in that second verse, in the 11th, second chapter, in the 11th verse, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they started talking about the kingdom of God in languages they'd never studied. When you're in the throne room, your priority rearranges to make sure that your conversation is a lot about him and who, how much he means to you. Also, I see, my friends, as I go into the end of that chapter in the 42nd, 43rd, and 44th verse, they're all together. Verse 43, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They're gathering together for worship and prayer. I see that it's about we, not about me. When you're, in the personal, when you're in the throne room with God, it's not about a personal agenda. It's about him and what he wants to do with all of us around the world. And then I see that it's about God's priorities that prevail always over mine. So, 
How are you doing with your time in the throne room, aligning your priorities with his, and recognizing that as you capture God's heart for the world, it then calls you to quite possibly different priorities than what you had. We're trying our best at Calvary to catch God's priorities for Walworth County and for the world. And then ask ourselves, how do each of us fit into that? Who we are, our training, our experience, our passions, our talents, our personalities, our anointings from God. And one of the things, my dear friends, about a church much like a business, but different. As a church grows, the leadership of the church is constantly having to ask themselves, Am I still the right person to lead like I was a year ago? Or has the time come or will come when God needs to bring a different person to accomplish what else needs to happen? That's part of the reason that I am here with you. After eight years in Fargo, God had made it very clear to me and to our elders, Pastor Doug, eight years in Fargo is enough. That for which I brought you there has been accomplished If you insist on staying, you will actually retard the next step of what I would want to do there. And so we had to come together before the church family and say, God is calling us to relinquish this to him and to make ourselves available to what the next thing is that God wants to do so God can continue to do in Fargo what God wants to do and he has. It would have been so much easier to say, but I love my home and I love the NDSU basketball games and I love all that this is. But our priorities were aligned according to his priorities. This is not in any way about failure. This is about looking forward into the future and saying, God, what do you want to do in our county? And God, how does worship fit into that? How does ABFs fit into that? How does Sunday school fit into that? How does everything we are fit into that? And how do each of us, each of us fit into that? It's about God saying to us, It's time to make a transition over the next several months because the future is far more than you could possibly imagine. And it will not be fair to expect our dear brother to be what he has been in the past in an environment that fit him so well when in the future God is going to continue to keep growing. Now it's very important that you understand that we're deeply committed to this beautiful balance of contemporary on Saturday night and blended worship on Sunday morning with choir and brass and orchestra. And we're going to stay that course. That is who we are as Calvary, a blended worship experience on Sunday as you experience here and a contemporary worship on Saturday. It's not about a course change of how we do worship. It's about the complexity and the magnitude and the bigness of it all and who God has designed our dear brother Pastor Tom to be and a celebration of the journey that we've had together And a recognition that what God is doing all around the world and in many places in America, there's a desperate cry for people exactly like him. You see that, my friends? Would you be willing to see that? Let me show you a second thing. The throne room empowers people to make courageous choices in harmony with the heart of God. I see in that fourth chapter... Peter and John courageously stood in front of the people who had killed Jesus. And in the 13th verse, it says, When those people saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Being with Jesus empowers courage 
not meekness, not mildness, not inconsistency, not uncertainty. We believe as we go forward, God is calling Calvary to be a courageous church as we have been in the past. And so we're trying to take courageous steps going forward to see what does that mean for all of us. Second thing that I see, my dear friends, in that 29th and 30th verse of that chapter, those people had gathered together for prayer because they were being brutalized by the people in Jerusalem who didn't want a Christian church there. So they prayed, now, Lord, consider the threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You see what they're doing? They're asking God for big things. God, we're delighted with what you have been doing, but we're asking you to do many things more than that. That's part of the reason that this is no longer the Gospel Tabernacle downtown Williams Bay. We've been here for for 38 years because there were people then in the early 70s who believed God was going to do big things. And it would be better to position Calvary right on the bend of Highway 50 than tucked away in beautiful downtown Williams Bay. Aren't you glad? So what exactly does the future look like? I don't know, and neither does Pastor Tom. But what we do know is if you took at this moment every available seat in every church that preaches the name of Jesus Christ in Walworth County, you couldn't seat more than 7,000 people. And there's 100,000 people in our county. So what does that mean? It means that we know that God loves every person in our county and wants to keep reaching them and therefore wants to keep stretching and growing. And it means that he wants to do it in all kinds of ways, including technology now, which is why there's a camera there. Because we've been talking for some time about a video venue or an off-site multi-site. But that means worship in those places. And so that means growing and stretching even further. (laughs) Do you see that? And do you see the stretch that that becomes? In verse 36 of that fourth chapter, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, sold a field that he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. He was a courageous man, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And I've given you several more scriptures that shows you when he stepped into the fray as a courageous man. Our dear brother Tom is a courageous man. He's taken great steps of courage in the last almost 20 years that he's been here. And those of you who've been here that long, you know that. What we're doing with him now is we're, and, and his family is we're asking God, is there another courageous step, a significant courageous step? Because there's a very specific place, God, that would fit so perfectly with who Pastor Tom is, and it's almost a desperate need there. While at the same time here you're continuing to stretch us in all directions. It's increasingly becoming a difficult stretch. God, help us see a courageous step here for your glory. That's why the third thing I want you to see with me is the throne room develops visionaries that are in harmony with the heart of God. Philip in Acts chapter 8 was a visionary as he went down to Samaria even though he didn't like those people and communicated Christ to them and a church grew up there and he ends up in Caesarea. Raises his family there and a church grows up there. Ananias was a visionary, as in chapter 9, when Saul has this road to Damascus encounter, and God says, Ananias, I know you're scared to death because Saul came here to Damascus to arrest people like you and maybe even kill people like you. I want you to go and talk to him. And he had a vision, an idea, 
of what could be if that Saul could actually become a Christian. With that same zeal and passion, what might he do in our world? And so he courageously went, and Saul did become a great communicator of the gospel of Jesus Christ and wrote most of the New Testament. It's Cornelius and it's Peter And both of them experiencing a vision from God of what could be if the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles was broken down so they could be brought together. And that's why you and I are here. Because it's not exclusively a Jewish Christian church. It's a global church. Amen? But chapter 11 is where I want you to see it, please. As I draw this to a very focused point, chapter 11. Between the 19th and the 26th verse, you have a glimpse into one of the most unusual places in the world. The city was called Antioch, the third largest city in the entire Roman Empire. More than a half a million people lived in that one city. It was divided like modern-day Jerusalem, an African section, a Syrian section because it was Antioch, Syria, a Greek section, and a Jewish section. section. And to that great city, Christians came, some from Cyprus, the island, and some from Cyrene. Do you know where modern-day Cyrene is? It's in the news every day. Libya. Libya. Some Christians from Libya went to Antioch. It says there in that 20th verse, Some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news of the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. A revival was happening in Antioch. And so the church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas up there, courageous Barnabas, go see what's happening. And he went and he saw that the hand of the Lord was upon them. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And he chose to stay rather than going back. And he began to teach and disciple. And then he realized, it's too big for me. And he ran to get help. And he went to get that Saul of Tarsus and brought him there. And it says there, do you see it? In verse 26, when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church, those Christians in Antioch, and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now you would think that everything is going so well, God would say, I'm going to bless this forever. Saul and Barnabas, put your roots down. You're going to stay there until you die. And sometimes God does that, but not real often. 13th chapter, one year later, of Acts. In the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, there he is. He's still there a year later teaching and Simeon, and Lucius, and Menaean, and Saul. So there's five leaders, key leaders in this rapidly growing church in this cosmopolitan city. Two of them, Saul and Barnabas, you could say, are the key core leaders. (coughs) They're together, it would appear, having a leadership gathering, praying and worshiping, and maybe much of the church was gathered. Look at the next verse. While they, who they, those leaders they, and maybe some others, were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them to. Ouch. Really? But God, they're very important to us. If you would like to send somebody out, call out somebody from among us and we'll send them. We need Saul and Barnabas here. They're two of five. They're the very core. Set apart from me, Saul and Barnabas, for the work I've called them to do. God has been speaking that specifically into the elders and myself and others, and as Pastor Tom and I have met over and over again in prayer, 
seeking to know the face of God for what he's doing here at Calvary and for what he's doing in Brother Tom's life. Set apart for me, Tom and Susan, for the work I've called them to. Now, normally, what God does is God reaches to you in the throne room and says, I'm sending you to such and such a place. Now, you leave the throne room and go out and tell everybody that I've called you. And most of us would understand that because most of the people who have stood before this church (coughs) and have said, God has called me out to go as a missionary, that's what they've said. Am I right? Am I right? They have stood before us and they've said, God has called me, will you stand with me? That's not what happened here. What happened here was God said to the leaders, I'm challenging you leaders, recognize what I have done here with Saul and Barnabas. They've been teaching and training. Look around at the people they've trained. Now release them. Set them apart. Consecrate them. Make them available to me, to the work that I've called them to do. (coughs) What work? Doesn't say it. So they were left with the choice. They could have easily said, not until you define it. But they didn't. You see what the next verse says? So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now clearly there's a gap between those two verses. At What happened in the gap? I, I, I would imagine that what happened was they delegated responsibilities. Saul was probably preaching every other week, teaching and discipling lots of people. Somebody had to take over that. Barnabas was doing the same. They were two of five key leaders. If you know anything about Pastor Tom, you know that he's been building up and delegating and a leadership team around him. That's been happening for years. That's part of who he is. He pours into other people and raises them up. Am I right? Have you seen that? So is it unreasonable for us to imagine that God is saying two things? One, Calvary, you can't imagine what I see in my mind for the future of Walworth County and Calvary Community Church. But I'm asking to be willing to take huge and courageous steps to allow me to do through you what I would like to do through you and other churches. But it's going to get complex and it's going to stretch. And at the same time, God is saying, I celebrate and I honor my faithful servants. Now complete the process of delegation and make them available. Because while at this moment I have not yet specifically identified the place, there are so many. Would you be willing, Calvary, to do that? That's why it is not termination and it's not failure. It's anticipation and transition. And that's why it's not momentary, it's many months. As we together as a church embrace them and receive from them the ministry of respons- the, the responsibility of ministry and then join with them to see, now where are these places? Did you know that they started their ministry journey as missionaries? with Greater Europe Mission, believing God was calling them to be missionaries. They have a heart for the world. What might God do? Three months from now, there's a couple that's going to be returning to us, Garth and Rachel Erickson. You know them. You know the deep roots they have in this community? Similar to Brother Tom and Susan, they started their journey believing God was calling them to be dorm parents on the mission field someplace, but it never, uh, it never opened up for them. They began a family, four children. They're here at Calvary, deeply embedded here, but with a yearning. 
And he walks into my office and says, I got a call in the middle of the night from friends in Indonesia. There's a desperate need for dorm parents. And if we don't get over there within 90 days, they're going to have to shut it down. And those, fam- those children are going to have to go back into the jungle with their families. Do you think God could release us from here and get us there in 90 days? And God did. Now, they thought they were going for one year. they have been there for four Church, I'm asking you to consider that God is calling us to recognize that He is God and we're not. And He doesn't always work exactly predictably the way we would like Him to work, like right here. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I've called them to do. Can you imagine how gut-wrenching that was for them? But they did. And can you imagine how many conversations, but where are you going? What are you going to do? That kind of sound like Abraham, maybe? So where did they go, and what did they do? Do you remember? They sent them off, and in the rest of Acts 13, they headed first to Cyprus and then to Asia and started planting the church in places where nobody had ever gone before. They were gone more than a year, and when you come to the end of chapter 14, they come back home. Just look quickly with me at two verses. At the end of chapter 14, from, in verse 26, from Ataliah, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God, the kindness of God, the love of God, for the work that they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together, and they reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. I can assure you that no one had ever imagined that the gospel would go beyond Palestine. But God had a vision for the world. And he found a church that had a vision to understand what God wanted to do with them. So here are these two dear people. God, we love very much Saul and Barnabas. We can't imagine that you really want to take them from us. But we'll find a way to keep doing the work of the ministry as you take them. And we'll pray for them and we'll love them. Now, they didn't have Skype and Facebook and all kinds of things. I think it's safe to say that rarely did they hear anything from each other in those many months. And finally, they come back. And do you see what it says in the next verse? And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Why? They'd come back home. Well, not really home. They'd only been there a year before they had left. But home to a church that had loved them and that they had helped to shape. And they stayed there a long time because they had a lot to tell them because of all that God had done in places that this church had never imagined would want to know of Jesus. And then what else did they do? They said, now you tell us, what has God done here in Antioch through you whom we trained? So what if right now there is a place in the world that is desperate, desperate, as they were four years ago for Garth and Rachel? And as we lift up our ears and we hear, God, what are you doing around the world? Calvary is willing to make Pastor Tom and Susan available. God shows not one, but maybe a dozen or more, but at least one specific one that is a desperately perfect fit for them. And if they come back to us a year from now, what will they find here? Those of you who he has poured his life into in ministry leadership, what would he find here? And what will they be able to tell us that God has done? I'm asking you, church, to be willing to consider that if we're going to be a church who is God's church, then we need to be willing to listen to what God is doing in the world and have him challenge us to sometimes take steps out of our comfort zone. 
Now, they're going to still be with us for many months as we embrace them. Believing that during that time, God is going to bring the answer to why. Where is the places or the place? This is what God is doing. Sitting among us in this room right now is another man in whom God is doing this. He loves God's word. He's been a teacher and a discipler with many in our church. And he came to meet with me two weeks ago to say, I can't leave my job. I've got a pretty big family. My job is important, but I've got a hunger for God's word. Would you help me know where can I start some theological education? I'm going to squeeze some time into my schedule somewhere because I believe God is giving me a vision that I won't be doing what I'm doing right now forever. So I want to start training. Right now, at this moment, there is a couple in this church who's been a part of this church for a long, long, long time, and they're sitting in another church hours from here. The people in that church don't know they're there. Don't tell them. They've gone there for a particular reason. That church is looking for a ministry leader for a particular ministry. The couple in this church has been talking to the pastor in the search committee in that church. But that person is not in full-time ministry here at our church. That person is in part-time ministry here in this church. But that person has had a yearning for so long to step into full-time ministry They've gone to worship among the people today just to see what is the culture of this church like. And while they worship there with nobody knowing who they are, they're looking to see could it be that God is asking us to sell our home in Williams Bay, to pack up and move to that community hours from here, to leave my job in the secular marketplace and step into full-time ministry, even though I've been doing part-time ministry. He is one of the people that Pastor Tom has been mentoring and discipling all these years. This is not exclusively about Pastor Tom and Susan. This is not about failure. We celebrate the success of more than 18 years of Pastor Tom Hilker among us. Amen? Amen. Do you agree with that? That's right. is about listening to what God is saying to us about Walworth County and about them and looking to see does Acts 13 apply and asking as a church family are we willing to consider what God might do now there are still probably many other questions But I want to make something very, very clear. The letter is not a smokescreen. There's not some moral failure or some horrible sin or some terrible thing that's happened. Please, don't even think about it. He's one of the most honest, godly men I know. There's none of that. This is about looking forward and asking the question, can we stretch our dear brother any further? And is it fair for us to ask him to keep stretching in all directions when there's a few things that he gets to do that are his true passion? And those few things are desperately needed in places where he's not stretched to do all those other things. And asking God to be clear with us as we go forward, 
But what does he want to accomplish here and through them? It's anticipation and transition. Now, what does it look like when you apply it to yourself? You see, the throne room draws praying leaders into harmony with the heart of God. And I don't mean by that elders or pastors. I mean you. You're the leaders of your home. And so when you're praying earnestly with God as families, do you hear God whispering in your ear, set apart for me your children for the work to which I've called them to do? And if one of your children comes home and says, Mom, Dad, I just can't get the tragedy in Japan out of my mind. I believe God wants me to somehow be a part of some organization that's going to go over there and help them. How would you respond to that? Mom, Dad, the heartbreak of the decaying inner cities in America. I think God wants me to move into the heart of one of the worst cities of our country to bring hope there. How would you respond to that? Parents, are you earnestly praying? Grandparents, are you earnestly praying for your children and your grandchildren? And are you setting them apart, saying, God, anything, anywhere for your great glory? How big is God's vision for Calvary, for you, for me, for them, for the couple that's sitting in another church this morning? For the man among us who wants to start theological education, even though he works 60 hours a week and has a family. How big is our vision? Lord Jesus Christ. The Antioch church could have easily said no. Find somebody else. But they didn't. And others who had been discipled and trained in that church stepped forward and said, Saul, you go, brother. I'll teach your class. Barnabas, you go. I'll take it over from here. And when they went, Asia found out about Jesus. God, what does it mean for us as a church? Lord Jesus, are you walking through our services and are you beginning to place your hand on the shoulders of people saying, I'm asking you, would you set apart your children, your family, your resources, your pastors. What do you find from us, God, when you ask us to set apart a dear couple we love very much? What do you find from us when you ask us to set apart our own families? Oh God, it's my prayer that here at Calvary you find a people who joyfully respond even with their tears, God, you're God and we're not. Jesus, you're the head of your church. You know what's going on in every nation of the world, every Bible college and seminary across this country, every church in North America and around the world. You know the needs, God. So yes, if you're calling us to make our families and ourselves and our pastors available, yes, God, even though it hurts, yes. God, we long for you to help us understand this and to celebrate our dear brother and sister with great enthusiasm as we walk these next months looking to see what does it mean. God, would you rebuke and reject among us thoughts of failure or sin or any of those things? Would you help us to see the hand of God? 
Would you help us to catch the heart of God? And we worship you now, trusting you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.